we are in our Vision Sunday, our third one of the year. And, and if I've not met you, my name is Scott. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life Coolangatta. And uh, this third Vision Sunday, we come back to it because every single year in February, we have a Vision Sunday where we, as the ministry team, our lead minister of all the churches gets up and he shares where he feels we are going this next year as a church community. And a lot of the times we've got up and we've told the vision of our building program or when we were going to plant New Life Brisbane and when we were going to plant New Life Coolangatta and our amazing days. But this year, as a ministry team, as we sat together, we decided our vision for this year would be becoming more like Jesus. Because we really believe unless we become like Jesus, we're not going to be able to carry the mission of God out into the world. And we decided that we would do it four times in the year. We'd bring everyone back to keep reminding everyone why we have chosen becoming this year, why we've chosen to follow Jesus. And what we decided was we would read the Bible from the start to finish. We'd read the entire Bible as a community together. And we've set up that app on our website. You can jump on our Bible reading plan if you've not jumped on there and join us where we're at. But we truly believe that we are transformed by God's word. And I love this vision for 2021 because it's Discipleship 101, right? Like who wants to be discipled by the greatest discipler ever, Jesus Christ? And we find him in God's word. So today is Vision Sunday. It's a coming back. It's a reminder to ourselves individually as a church community what the question is. Who are you becoming this year? Who are you becoming in 2021? And the text we're going to be starting with today is Matthew 4, 18 to 22. You'll see it on the screen behind me. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee and preparing their nets. And Jesus called them and immediately left their boat and their father and followed him. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this rich text. I thank you so much for the call of Jesus Christ to the disciples and to us to follow him. God, you know how hard that is on our hearts sometimes to follow you in all circumstances. Lord, would you help me preach your word today? Would you empower me to preach grace in truth, but also in love, God? That they wouldn't look to me, but that I only look to you, the one who brings life and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So men are funny creatures. We're funny creatures. Sometimes we just do things because we're told to, and we don't use our brains. Like when my wife tells me to do something, I just do it. Like, I don't try and reconcile in my head why. I'm just like, all right, I've been told to do something. I'm just going to do it. And so we, we do these things without using our brain. And here's a couple of examples of men doing that. This lady said to her husband, please go to the store and buy a carton of milk. And if they have eggs, get six. He came back with six cartons of milk. And I asked, why in the world did you buy six cartons of milk? He said, they had eggs. Just waiting for a couple to get it. A couple are just like, uh, oh, yeah. Next one. I was 16 and my grandmother asked me, sweep under the bed. When I came back with an empty dustpan, she asked, where's the dirt? I said, under the bed. 
Last one. When checking out of a house hire, we were asked to empty the bin and put it on dishwasher. So my husband put a full dirty bin bag on top of the dishwasher. We still have arguments, uh, disagreements about this today. I'm with that guy. It literally says, put the dirty bin on the dishwasher. I'm okay with that. But I love it how guys just do stuff because they're told to. Even if it doesn't make sense, they just do it. I'm sure my wife could tell you plenty of times where I've been sent to the shops and brought back stuff that I wasn't meant to bring back. But it seems like here in Matthew 4, it seems like that's what's happening, right? That they've just been told to do something. They're like, oh, okay, I'll just follow. In verse 19, it says, come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. Just at once, they left their nets and followed him. Just imagine you're at your job, you're working as usual, you're doing your own thing, and this random guy comes up to you and says, hey, come follow me. What would make you follow that person? Would it, if they pulled up in a Ferrari and had heaps of cash, and they're like, come follow me, you're like, oh yeah, this might be all right. I'll go follow them. But even that's a bit creepy, right? Just some random guy turning up and going, hey, come follow me. Why would you follow them? You wouldn't, would you? So we first need to understand the context of Jesus calling the disciples here in Matthew 4. Was this like a magical calling? Was Jesus so compelling, so charismatic that they just couldn't help but follow him? They were under this spell? No, that's not what's happening here. You see, this wasn't the first time these four men had actually met Jesus. So in the context of where we are, we find it in the Gospel of John and the Gospel of Luke, we bring all these together and work out where are we in this story of Jesus and his ministry. And we find out in the Gospel of John, these four guys meet Jesus at his baptism. When Jesus is about to be baptized, John the Baptist points at Jesus and he says, see that man? That's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's the one I've been preaching about. That's the one to come after me. That's the one I'm called to herald in, the Messiah. That's the one. And it says that John, the disciple, and Matthew, they go after him. And then when they talk to him, Matthew, um, Matthew yeah, goes and goes, no, not Matthew, Andrew. Andrew goes to Peter and says, Peter, we've found the Messiah. Peter comes and meets him. And then when we go to the Gospel of Luke, Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days. He's tempted by the devil. And it says he comes out in the power of the Holy Spirit, preaching the kingdom of God and healing many people of their sicknesses. And that's what Jesus does. He starts preaching around Galilee, where these four men lived. So Jesus is preaching the kingdom. He's healing all the sick that come to him. And then in the Gospel of Luke, we find out that Jesus actually goes to Peter's house and heals his mother-in-law. And then he goes out and starts preaching. And he says he gets in a boat and goes out a bit to preach to people, to get an advantage point to preach to the crowd. And he preaches the gospel. He preaches the kingdom to the crowd. And then when he's done, he says to Peter, jump in your boat and go and fish. And Peter's like, it's another day. This is weird. But like men, we go, okay. So he jumps in his boat and he gets this massive catch of fish. And he falls at the feet of Jesus and he says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Like, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. And Jesus says, I'll make you a fisher of men. And so what we see here, this is not a magical call to a bunch of strangers. These four men, they knew Jesus. They'd seen his miracles. They'd heard his teachings before this moment. And when Jesus calls them to follow, when they leave everything behind, it's an act of obedience out of faith of who Jesus was. This was an act of obedience to follow Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he's a theologian and um, amazing man. If you want to read a great book, go to Dietrich Bonhoeffer's books. 
But he says, because Jesus is the Christ, he has all authority to call and to demand obedience to his word. Jesus summons men to follow him, not as a teacher or a pattern of the good life, but as the Christ, the Son of God. In this short text, Jesus Christ and his claim are proclaimed to all men. Not a word of praise is given to the disciple for his decision for Christ. We are not expected to contemplate the disciple, but only him who calls and his absolute authority. According to our text, there's no road to faith or discipleship, no other road, only obedience to the call of Jesus Christ. So according to this passage, the doorway to discipleship is actually obedience. The disciples' journey doesn't begin, uh, only begins with the response to the call, follow me. It's, a, it's an act of utter submission. You see, modern day Christianity, we've made it all about just salvation, going to heaven, and we've left behind the call to follow Jesus. It's like for us, that salvation is the goal and discipleship or following Jesus is just this option if you want it at the end. But the Bible shows us that they're intimately linked to one another. You know, we can't truly have one without the other. If you have faith in Jesus that he is the son of God, then you can't be disobedient to him. You see, if we have faith that Jesus is the son of God, then you can't not follow him. You see, if we truly believe and have faith in Jesus, then you have to be obedient in his call to follow. Now, I need a uh, volunteer, and Fernando was in the first service, so I'm going to get him up again, because now he knows what's going on. I threw him under the bus at the first service. (laughs) Now, does this man look like a picture of Jesus? He's loving, he's caring, amen? Amen. He's going to play Jesus for me. Perfect. All right? So this is what we do in modern Christianity. We hear the gospel, and we go... Thank you so much, Jesus. You saved me from my sin. I repent. And thank you so much. You've given me eternal life. Awesome. Thanks very much. Catch you later. And we just go and live our life. And we're like, oh, I'll get back to you when I need to get into heaven. And we just walk off and we just live our own life. And we think that that is the gospel. But Jesus says, what? Not a trick question. Follow me, right? He says, follow me. But then we do this. We go, Jesus, thank you so much. You saved me. Awesome. And then you say, follow me. Follow me. (laughs) And we go, no, 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 you follow me. Come on, follow me. I want to go over here. Come on. But Jesus doesn't move. Because he's not going to follow our ways and the way we do things. He's here and he commands us to follow him. And the other way that happens is we go, thank you so much for giving me of my sin. And you say, "Follow follow me. And I go, cool, let's go. And I start following. Like my walking. <laughs> and then I go, oh, shiny thing. And I start walking over here. I'm like, oh, this looks all right. I might dabble in that for a little while. I might do this and do that. And we walk away from Jesus and we walk into sin. And then we're standing over here and we're like, where are you, Jesus? How come you're not helping me? And it's like, Jesus walked away from us. No, we've walked away from him. We've walked off in a totally different direction. And this is what we see sometimes in the Christian life. But when we stay with Jesus, when we walk with him, no matter what we face, we have the Son of God with us, right? Amen? Amen. Thank you for being such a good Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) You see, when we stop following Jesus and we follow sin and, and the worldly lust, we go on our own. And you'll actually notice that you'll lose peace. You'll lose that power of God. But when we follow Jesus, we have peace because we're with the King of Peace. 
It doesn't matter where we go. Even where we go through trials and tribulations and pain and suffering, if we're following Jesus, he's there to help us, to carry us through. But what happens is we wander off on a different path and we end up just suffering on our own. You know, it's interesting because a lot of the time our suffering comes from sin or distraction. And there are times when we suffer because of that and there's times we suffer because of our faith. But here's the beauty. Jesus talks about this. He says, what good is it if you are punished for your sin and you take it patiently? What good is it? You, you did something wrong. You're going to get punished for it. He goes, but if you are punished for righteousness, for following me, you are blessed. What does that say? When you go off and do your own thing, you will be punished and you'll just suffer in that. But if we're suffering because we're following Jesus, we're going to be blessed. And there's an example of this in the book of Acts. So a couple of the disciples, they're preaching Jesus and the Sanhedrin pull them in and they say, don't preach in the name of Jesus. And they're like, too bad, we're going to do it anyway. And so they whip them. They literally whip them both. And then they leave. And they're like, oh, that just sucked. We got whipped. No, they didn't say that. They actually rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. The disciples walked out giving each other high fives. Who here, after they got whipped for Jesus, would be like giving someone a high five? (laughs) Exactly, right? But Jesus was with them in their suffering, so he empowers them and carries them through it. I'll say it again. According to this passage, the doorway to discipleship is obedience. A disciple's journey does not begin until he responds, he or she responds to the call, follow me. It's an act of utter submission. Here's the thing. We can't actually transform ourselves. But the closer you follow Jesus, the more you'll become like him in every way. That word there for I will send you is actually better translated as I will make you. I will make you fishers of men. You see, when we follow Jesus, he's the one that transforms us. Ruth Haley Barton says, I cannot, tra- I cannot transform myself or anyone else for that matter. What I can do is create the condition in which spiritual transformation can take place by developing and maintaining a rhythm of spiritual practices that keep me open and available to God. You see, the closer we are to Jesus, the more he like, rubs off, off on us. You know, we, we all know this to be a fact, right? Like examples of, of being influenced by the people we hang out with. We know this in real life. Like if you hang out with people who are not good, who don't love the Lord, they start to rub off on you, right? And you start to complain and you start to get into gossip and you start to live like they do and they start convincing you it's okay. So the more we hang out with them, the more we like them. Proverbs says don't hang out with people like that. But when we hang out with people who love the Lord and who are fervent for the Lord, they encourage us to get closer to the Lord, right? So if we know this is a fact in the natural world, that whoever we hang out with more, we become like more, how much more true is this spiritually? So then we need to hang with Jesus more because he promises to transform you into his likeness. You say, well, how do we do that? Well, through spiritual disciplines, through maintaining constant, regular spiritual practices that shape and form us. Think about physical exercise, right? If I want to get fit, I've got to work at it. I can't just sit there and watch Netflix and go, how come I'm not getting fit? <laughs> right? I've got to work at it. I've got to go, okay, five mornings a week, I'm getting up, I'm going to devote some time to it, and I'm going to get fit, and I'm going to get, get lose some weight, and this is going to be awesome. Right? We all know you've got to put some effort in. Like if I want big muscles, then I'll have to train, right? Why are you laughing? I could have big muscles. 
maybe. <laughs> My wife's going, no, you couldn't. But this is what we've got to do, right? We all understand that. We all understand we have to actually put some disciplines in place to get what we want. It's the same with the Christian growth in Jesus. Who you are becoming is determined by what your disciplines are in being close to Jesus. And Paul encourages Timothy, the pastor of the church in Ephesus, about this very thing, to teach this very thing. Now, we need to know, we just did a sermon series on Ephesians, but Ephesus was one of the darkest places in the known world at the time. And the church exploded in the darkness there. They reckon they had about 50,000 people in his church. 50,000. And this is the advice that Paul gives Timothy, the pastor there. He says, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject um, profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and that of which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labour and suffer reproach because we trust in a living God who is the saviour of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. This is what Paul tells the pastor Timothy to teach the church of 50,000 people. He says, you need to be nourished, fed in the word. The word of God, the word of faith. On what? On good doctrine which you have followed. He's saying, follow Jesus, follow the doctrine, don't stray from it. He says, exercise yourself, teach them to exercise themselves towards godliness. He's like, bodily exercise is profitable, but it's only for the body. But godliness is profitable for all of life. It will permeate every aspect of your life if we are exercising ourselves towards godliness. And what happens here? He goes, we suffer reproach. But he's not complaining. He's going, I suffer reproach for this, but I have fullness of joy because I'm following Christ in what I am doing. Paul then tells Timothy, the pastor, to command and teach this very thing. You know, if I just get up in the morning and I go straight to my phone and I go straight to social media or jump straight in the newspaper or put on the morning news, then I'm immediately influenced by the world around me. This is the thing that I'm feeding my soul with. And you know what? Spiritual disciplines, they're not an obligation. But they're an opportunity to surrender ourselves to the mighty transforming power of God in our lives. You know, we need to understand that Jesus plays a certain role and we play another role in becoming. And we're called to obedience to the call to follow Jesus. But Jesus is the one who changes us. It's simply like in the, in the Bible, we talk, the Bible talks about us being clay and, and Jesus and God being the potter. We're simply the clay in, in the potter's hands. And that gives me so much comfort because I don't have to mold it. It's God's job to mold it if I'm following him. In Isaiah 64, it says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. See, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's this, this vision, this image of us being clay and God being the potter. So God can, can mold you into an amazing vessel. He can take a vessel of dishonor and make it a vessel of honor. And this is the gospel. This is the story of why Jesus came to die for us on the cross. That he would come and he would take all of our sin upon himself on the cross and he would deal with the curse and sin and death for you and I. We were vessels of dishonor, full of sin. And Jesus takes that and nails it to the cross 
And in his death, burial, and resurrection has victory over sin and death. And we pass from being a vessel of dishonor to a vessel of honor. We pass from being children of the world to children of God, from death unto life, from darkness to light. This is what the gospel does if we put our hands in the potter's hands. The potter and the clay. question is, who's forming you? Is Jesus or is the culture around you forming you? Is Jesus molding you and controlling you or is something else? Is Jesus the master craftsman or are you trying to be the master craftsman? You know, it's in every way a revisioning moment for us to call us back to the central question for this year. How are we becoming more like Jesus in 2021? And the one we decided as a church leadership team was to start with the basics and that's to read the Bible, to read God's word, to commit to reading the entire Bible in one year. This is only one way of following Jesus and to be molded by Jesus. And if you're already reading God's word on a regular basis and being transformed by it, I encourage you, keep doing it. That's great. But I encourage you to continue. Look at other spiritual practices like fasting and prayer and silence and solitude to continue that journey. But reading the Bible is one spiritual practice we've decided to focus on this year as a church. 1 Peter 2 1 to 3 says, Peter says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. He's like, the word is like milk to a baby, to help the baby grow. And we are to desire the pure milk of the word, not the milk of the world. But of the word. This is, I would say, the most important spiritual practice we can actually engage in to become more like Jesus. Why? Because the Bible is the primary way that God speaks to us. And because we at New Life Gather and across all of our New Life churches, we believe the Bible is not just a book full of words, but it's living and active and powerful. You know what, I know this to be true because the more I actually live in God's word, the more I engage in God's word, the more I'm actually transformed by it. The more my heart wants to come in line with it. The more I read the Bible, the more peace I get in all my situations. The more I get to know Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit, the more I fall in love with God. Church, the Bible is so powerful. It's way more powerful than you think. Hebrews says in chapter 4, verse 12 to 13, we're not quite sure who the author is, but the author of Hebrews says, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the vision of the soul and the spirit of joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. He says, guys, be diligent. Be diligent in digging into God's word, a spiritual discipline. Because what happens is we fall through disobedience, right? We don't know what God's word says on something. And so we go off and we fall into disobedience and we fall into sin. You say, be diligent in the word because it's living and powerful. Because we don't believe that it is living and powerful. I don't think we believe that it is so, so powerful that it can change hearts and minds. I love that it says it's sharp and it's piercing. Who can stand here with me and raise their hand and say, sometimes when they read the Bible, it's piercing, right? It's like, oh, I've got to do that. Or, oh, I didn't know that. That's tough. Oh, I've got to follow Jesus in that way. Right? It's piercing. But that's a good thing. 
Because it ends with this discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Our hearts are wicked. Our hearts are idol-making factories. We want to go and worship other things, but the Bible understands it's the discerner of our heart. And when we read God's word, we're pulled into that. You see, here's the thing. If you refuse to read the Bible or the word of God, then, then you're not accessing that, accessing that power. You're not accessing the life-giving, living word. You're not accessing that powerful discerner of your heart. And what we desperately need is power to overcome the temptations of this world, right? And not just walk off in a different direction to where Jesus is going. It's a discerner of our heart. You know, we need something to actually orientate our wayward hearts back to God on a daily basis. And the Bible is so powerful and it does this for us, but we need to be diligent in it. But people will say to me, oh, you know what? I have no time. I'm just too busy. Like, I've got so much stuff on. Church, this is simply not true. It's an excuse we use not to follow Jesus. You see, too busy is an acceptable excuse in our culture. It's like a badge of honour in our culture if someone says they're busy. It's not a badge of honour. It's an excuse to abdicate our responsibilities. And it's actually used to abdicate our responsibilities as disciples to follow Jesus. You see, if you're a Christian and Jesus is standing here right now in the flesh, do you think that would be a, a sufficient ex excuse? Would you honestly stare Jesus in the eye and go, sorry, mate, just been too busy? I don't think any of us could do that. John Lennox has this quote. He's a professor and a theologian. He says, our lives rust by. We have become fixated on digital equipment that rob us of time. We have loads of time. People say they have no time. If you want to know how much time you have, you just have to ask yourself a simple question. How much time have I spent last week fiddling with a piece of digital equipment or doing things I have that have no relevance whatsoever to my profession or my faith? And then say, have I got any time? We are robbing ourselves of the most important thing in life if we are Christians, and that is seeking fellowship with God through his word. Church, we have loads of time. You want to know what you love the most? Just look at what you spend most of your time on. You know, if I'm out surfing for two and a half hours, two days a week, three days a week, and then I turn and go, I haven't got time to read my Bible. What does that say? If I'm spending all my time in my work because I want to get that position and I have no time for God, what does that say? If I'm saying I'm too busy but I'm watching three series on Netflix, Ben's watching and watching three different series all in a day, have I got no time? Spending time on social media. If I say to my boys that want to hang out with me, oh, guys, I haven't got time for you, and then I go in and watch Netflix, what does that say? Does that say that I love them? It doesn't. It says I love my relaxation. I love my Netflix more than my kids. And you would be concerned if I was doing that. You would say, Scott, what are you doing? They're your kids. Now, how then do we say I love Jesus but don't have any time to read about him or be shaped and formed by him through his word? How do we say that? John Lennox continues. He says, many of you people are professionals. Think of the amount of work you had to do to get to where you are now. Now, if God has given you that kind of mind, how much of it are you using on him? What worries me silly is people rise in their professional career like that, 
but their knowledge of Scripture remains on a basic Sunday school level. So, the moment their peers raise a question about God or Scripture, they instantly detect that they've not thought it through. We don't take God's Word seriously, and what that tells me when I find it in my own heart is that I don't really love God. You know, sometimes people ask us about God or ask us about the Bible and we're stumped. We don't know what to say because we don't know what that Bible actually says about that, about the issue that was raised with us. And the person asking the question then becomes confused because they're like, hang on, don't you profess the faith and you don't even know what your God's will is? And unfortunately, church, there's no shortcut. We simply need to spend time in God's word. And I can't spend time in God's word for you. You have to spend time in God's word for yourself. Jesus talks about this in John 14, verse 15 to 17. He says, if you love me, if you love me, keep my commandments, which is obedience and following him. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Such an encouraging piece of scripture. Jesus challenges, but then shows us the way. He says, hey, if you love me, you'll be obedient to me and you will follow me. And the way you know that is by reading my word, what's been revealed. I've shown it all to you in my word. And the great thing is we actually have the power to do so. We have the spirit of truth that is with us when we read God's word. We have the Holy Spirit working in and through us. And it's like, you know, when your car breaks down. Have you ever tried to push a car when your car breaks down? It's hard work, right? When it's lost all power. There's no power and you're just like trying to push it just off the road. Now, when your car breaks down, you don't go, I'll just push it all the way to work, do you? Well, it's way too hard. And when you get to a hill, what happens? You start going backwards again. That's the Christian life when we're trying to do this without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. If I'm trying to transform myself, mold myself without the power of God and His Word... It's like pushing a car with no power. But when we are in God's word, when we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, when we are following Jesus and his commands, the Holy Spirit comes and empowers us and drives that car for us to transform us. You know what? I I know this sounds very harsh, but I say it because I love you. And it's a conviction that, that God has been convicting me on over the years in my Christian walk. That I need to be devoted to Christ. We are not great at devotion to our faith. Now, I look at other people when I go around the world and other religions and how they're so devout to spiritual disciplines and how in comparison, we as Christians can be so apathetic to our devotion to Jesus and our spiritual disciplines in our life. Like I go overseas and these people are praying five times a day and they're they're super poor and they're giving money and they're doing all this sort of stuff and I'm just like, wow, I didn't even read the Bible in the last five days because I've been on holidays. And I'm like, really? I serve the living God. The God of the universe. And I can't spend five minutes even reading his word with these people and not worshipping the real God. And they're so devout. And people are so devout to their work. They will work hard and they'll be so devout to getting that position or getting that amount of money. Yet we don't even put 10% of that into knowing our God. See, people... People are so devout with their families or their pleasures or their desires and we just work and work and work for these things and these things are not bad in themselves. But when we're more devoted to them than we are at Jesus, when it's at the expense of devotion to Jesus, they actually become our potter. We're actually formed by them. 
And we know that when we're formed by these things, these lusts, these things of the world around us, what happens is they actually become a curse. Because guess what? If I'm working for this amount of money, I'll always want more. And if I'm working for this position, there'll always be someone who has a greater position than me. And if I'm working to get here in my surfing and get great, there's always going to be a Kelly Slater. It's always better than me. And so the goalposts are always moving and they become this curse because I can never reach what I'm actually reaching for. Never. You know, our work, our families, our hobbies, they become avenues of a curse. But the truth is, if we're formed by Jesus, if we're diligent in spiritual discipline and put ourselves in the good potter's hands, in the hands of Jesus, then all these other things, they're actually enhanced by the power of God. When they're put in their proper place, they can be a blessing, not a curse. So my job, my work, my hobbies, my desires, they become avenues to share God's love with the world. They become things I give thanks for, not things that dominate me. And as we finish, as the band comes up, you might be thinking, well, it was different for the disciples. They literally got to follow Jesus. What am I supposed to do? Like when Jesus says, come follow me, he was there. So they got to follow the Son of God in the flesh. Like I'm living in 2021. Well, let me tell you this. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, follow me as I follow Christ. And we need to know that the Apostle Paul was not there when Jesus was on the earth. The Apostle Paul came to faith after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and ascension, and Jesus appeared to him, and he was a follower of Christ when Jesus had already ascended into heaven. So how did Paul follow Jesus? Through his word, through obedience, through following the call to follow Jesus wherever that took him, into the darkness, in joy and in suffering, but he always had Christ with him. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. So church, start following Jesus revealed in the Bible. Start reading God's Word every day and I promise you will be formed and transformed by it and shaped by it and molded by this powerful Word of God to become more like Jesus. That's our aim, right? So when you read the words of Jesus in verse 19, come follow me, what is your response? Because if we respond in obedience like Andrew and Peter and and James and John and put the world behind us and follow Jesus first, he promises to make us into something we could never imagine or dream. James 4.8, it promises that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to you. That's a promise. If we spend time in the word of God, he will draw near to us. And our vision as a church is to see more people, more like Jesus. So the question we have to ask ourselves is who am I becoming this year? Will I answer the call to follow? Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we just come before you, Lord, and especially me, I come before you broken. I've I've chased shiny things in my life and not followed you wholeheartedly. God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for your forgiveness through the cross. God, would you set a fire in our hearts to understand how powerful the Word of God is, that it's living, that it's active, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, that it pierces even to the soul and spirit, Lord, through your Word. Pierce us into our soul and discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, God. 
that we would turn to you and follow you through every season of life. Not that we would be glorified, that you would be glorified, God. That when we go into this world, God, that you would shine through us. That people would look at our lives and go, that's empowered by something that's out of this world. I want to know about that. And God, I come before you in repentance, God. I've not followed you in every single step. And and I stand before you for this people here. Lord, bring conviction to our heart. We're not walking in step with you. Help us believe and know the power of the Holy Spirit in our life to turn away from the things of the world, the shiny things of the world, and turn only to you, that you would be glorified in everything we do. And you might be sitting there and you've never answered the call to follow. Like we are Christians and, and we drift with there. Maybe you're sitting there and you're like, I've never actually accepted Jesus' sacrifice for me on the cross. I tell you, here today, that's why Jesus died for you. He wants to redeem you, restore you, forgive you, and give you a whole new life and put his Holy Spirit in you to empower you to walk in grace, in truth, and in love. And you can do that by repenting of your sin, turning away from the world and turning to Christ and putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord and answer the call to follow Him. And Lord, we come before you broken, but we know you are a great potter that can make amazing vessels. So we put ourselves in your hand that you will be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.